G'day mate, Forty here. So I brought my, my crystal light with me to, to Australia. So. <sighs> Delicious, classic orange. So since I've been in Australia, what a shocking massacre that uh, occurred in Waukesha, Wisconsin. All right, Christmas parade, and then you got this 39-year-old guy, Daryl Brooks, just drives into the parade, kills six people, uh, injured countless others, and uh, this guy is long, long, long criminal record. He'd been arrested 21 days prior to the attack for hitting his ex-girlfriend with the same SUV during a domestic dispute. Right. He posted a $1,000 bail on November 23, two days before the Wakisha attack and was released. He also had a warrant for a sex crime in Nevada. So he's arrested the night of the attack while attempting to call an Uber. And uh, no one knows what uh, what motive it was, but uh, the, the Wakisha police chief says uh, not, a, not a terrorist event. Well, sure sounds like uh, terror to me. So a year ago, we had the, the George Floyd frenzy. We had defund the police. We had this uh, widespread movement to try to do away with, with uh, prisons, to do away with cash bail, do everything we could to make life easier for criminals. And what's happened as a result? We've we've had an explosion in murder rates. And we have a steady tilt against the Democrats in the polls. So Republicans are looking right now most likely to take back the House of Representatives and the United States Senate. I mean, who is not appalled by what happened in Waukesha, Right? The suspect with his long criminal history, free on $1,000 a bail. So how did we crush crime rates in America? We sent a lot of bad guys to jail and to prison. So the day after the Waukesha massacre, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sent a letter to the New York City District Attorney requesting information on excessive bail in the New York City court system. So... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and fellow New York Democrats, Carolyn Maloney, Maryland's uh, Jamie Raskin, or Democrats saying, oh, we've got you know, too much, too onerous bail restrictions. I mean, how disconnected from reality can you get? So a day after the Waukesha massacre, where the, the guy accused was out on $1,000 bail, these Democrats are tweeting that... Uh, we have excessive bail. So I think that the crime wave is going to be harder for Democrats than rising inflation, COVID surges, uh, parental backlash against educational fads like critical race theory. I'm reading from an excellent op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by Kimberly Strassel. It's called Democrats Have a Waukesha Problem. So crime is soaring nationally. Murder is soaring nationally. And Democrats have spent years watering down bail rules, foregoing prosecutions, releasing prisoners, 
got all these George Soros funded uh, district attorneys who don't want to take on crime. And we have all these Democrats talking about we need to defund the police. Right. So the the politicians behind all these crazy demands are inevitably Democrats. Right. They're governors, they're mayors, they're prosecutors who are Democrats. Right. So nationally, homicides in 2020 were up nationally by 30 percent. Thanks, Black Lives Matter. Thanks, George Floyd. Thank you to the Democrats. Chicago is going to end 2021 with its highest murder rate in 25 years. Portland, Oregon, going to surpass 1,200 shootings this year compared to just 400 in 2019. Los Angeles had more homicides in May than in any month for more than a decade. So even liberals don't like this. Right? You think liberals are thrilled about uh, massive increases in crime rates? No. Right? People are willing to be all liberal and progressive until it starts destroying the quality of life in their community until it starts uh, hurting the people that they care about. So uh, Republicans simply have to avoid screwing things up to take back power. So November 2nd, Minneapolis voters rejected initiative to abolish the police. Pro-policing candidates won mayoral races in New York City, Seattle, Buffalo, in Long Island, in New York, two Republican district attorney candidates beat Democrats in races of a referendum on state bail changes that would let repeat offenders go free. And uh, Democrats are struggling to adjust. So as this uh, very left-wing Milwaukee County district attorney, John Chisholm, conceded that the Waukesha suspect, Daryl Brooks, charged with killing six, injuring at least 40 others, had been let out on inappropriately low bail, right? This is the same district attorney, a Democrat, who brags that his office reduces prosecution, reduces incarceration, and reduces cash bails, right? The answer to reducing crime is to increase prosecutions, increase incarceration for bad guys, and dramatically increase cash bail. So Wisconsin's governor put 500 National Guard personnel on active duty in Kenosha, to forestall violence that might accompany the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. But remember August 2020? He he deliberately let Kenosha burn. That's why people like Kyle Rittenhouse were out there in the first place. Uh, San Francisco District Attorney Chisa Bowden ran in 2019 on a promise to end mass incarceration and to end cash bail. Right? So even Democrats are responding to incentives. So he's now tweeting his outrage of the organized looting of uh, Union Square shops and vowing to bring felony charges. But you can't tweet away all these pro-crime policies that have been years in the making and all coming from the left. So progressives for a decade have demanded an end to what they call a racist criminal justice system. So they want to end the most effective police tactics such as stop and frisk and cash bail and mandatory sentencing and end prosecution for most crimes, right? So when you destroy the incentives not to commit crime, a lot of bad people are going to commit a lot of crime. 
So in New York City, Mayor Bill de Blasio essentially ended the NYPD stop and frisk campaign. Uh, California voters essentially decriminalized shoplifting. Right? They approved a ballot measure right? that, that uh, defines thefts under $950 just as a misdemeanor. You want me to bring you some nice wool? Well, Aussie sucks, mate. You can you can order some of those on Amazon. Amazon's got everything. It's the everything store, bro. So there's this growing public backlash to this progressive craziness, this pro-crime legislation. Right, so you've got Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her compatriots complaining about unnecessary pre-trial detention right after Wakisha, where this guy was out on the $1,000 bail. Right, many Democrats like uh, Rashida Tlaib in Michigan, they want to kill the three strikes law. Right, three strikes, you get three felonies, you should go to prison for a very long time, at least 25 years. Right, people like Rashida Tlaib want to fully empty federal prisons within 10 years. So the White House responded, President Biden does not support abolishing prisons. So Wall Street Journal NBC poll finds that voters now trust Republicans over Democrats to handle crime by 22 points. So Kimberly Strassel concludes the horrific crime in Wakisha stem from policy failures that demand political accountability and that begins and ends with democratic policies. Steve Saylor's got a lot of good blog posts on this. So he notes that drug arrests in 2021 running at about half the rate seen in 2018. So do we now have all sorts of good things as predicted by libertarian economists now that we're no longer arresting people for drug use? No, right? We've got drug overdose deaths over $100,000, over 100,000 a year in the United States. We've got uh, motor vehicle theft way up. And this is well reported for insurance reasons. So it exploded with the George Floyd riots. Australia makes the best licorice. Right, we've got homicides way up, car thefts way up, uh, traffic deaths way up, pedestrian deaths way up. Because when you have an increasingly lawless society, there are all these repercussions. All right? So when you let people off the hook from accountability and punishment for their bad behavior, there are repercussions for that. And uh, Black Lives Matter and Tifa. George Soros-funded district attorneys all played a significant role. Oh, so uh, the Washington Post tweeted that uh, SUV violence descended upon Waukesha. So it's not Daryl Brooks, a you know, longtime criminal, who's allowed to roam free, is responsible. It was SUV violence. And uh, I've been away from Los Angeles for 10 days, but apparently uh, mass looting, both in Los Angeles and in the San Francisco Bay Area. Am I going to the vaccine protests in Sydney tomorrow? No, I am not planning, planning to, uh, to go there. So uh, if, if Australia is a police state, then, then give me tyranny. 
because it's a very pleasant way of life here and they've done a really good job keeping down COVID death rates, though it's unclear how much government policies had to do with that. Oh, this is funny. So Facebook had these race-blind policies around hate speech, right? You're not allowed to say that you hate another race. And the race-blind application of these policies, 90%, right? 90% of the, the people who violated these policies were black people saying how much they hated whites. So Facebook's algorithms found most hate speech on Facebook was anti-white and anti-male. So this is how the uh, Washington Post headlines it. Uh, Facebook's race-blind policies around hate speech came at the expense of black users. So it doesn't want to say that there are certain black users who are committing a disproportionate amount of uh, hate speech. No. Racist posts against minorities weren't what Facebook's own hate speech detection algorithms were most commonly finding. So the algorithm was aggressively detecting comments denigrating white people more than attacks on every other group. So roughly 90% of the hate speech subject to content takedowns on Facebook were statements of contempt, inferiority, and disgust directed at whites and men in particular. So Facebook's race-blind rules of conduct on the platform did not distinguish among the targets of hate speech. So supposedly it should be open season on white people and on men from a progressive point of view. So Facebook had race-blind rules of conduct, but what the Washington Post wants are anti-white rules of conduct and anti-men rules of conduct. So uh, Facebook decided not to allow the algorithms to automatically delete many slurs, such as the N-word, on the grounds that the algorithms couldn't easily tell the difference when a slur such as the N-word and the C-word. What's the C-word? What's the C-word? We use positively or colloquially within a community. So do you use the N-word only in a positive and a colloquial sense within your community? God forbid, I can't think what the C-word is. So many blacks call each other the N-word all the time. But that's not a problem, notes Steve Saylor, because no black ever takes offense at what another black calls him on social media and then goes and gets his Glock. Well... Steve Saylor notes that he's read more than half a dozen interviews with black police chiefs about the causes of the murder epidemic that blame, in large part, social media beefs. So Facebook's algorithms were over-indexing uh, content such as men are pigs rather than finding less common but more harmful content. So saying men are pigs, right, denigrating men, uh, Washington Post doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. Should be open season on men. So black users said that the algorithms mistook posts about racism as hate speech. 
and sent the user to Facebook jail. So Facebook has changed its algorithms to protect more vulnerable minorities over others. Well, that's what uh, the Washington Post wants, but uh, Facebook tries to operate with one set of standards for billions of users. So apparently Facebook leaders reviewed a proposal to discriminate against whites and men and straights, and especially against straight white men, but rejected that. So they felt the changes too narrowly protected just a few groups. The proposal would not have allowed the automatic deletion of comments against Mexicans or women. So uh, there's this guy, Kaplan, who is Facebook's most influential Republican, and he's a strong believer that Facebook should appear politically neutral. And this guy has a hardline free speech ideology, right? Have you heard that phrase before? Hardline free speech ideology. So uh, Facebook changed its algorithms to stop automatically taking down negative content directed at white people, Americans, and men. So you can hate on white people, Americans, and men, and uh, still, still operate within Facebook's rules. So Facebook eventually succumbed to left-wing democratic pressure and okayed hate speech just as long as it's directed at white American men. What's the equivalent of Pico Robertson in Sydney? It is uh, Bondi. Uh, it's, the, it's the road I was walking on a couple of days ago. So there are about five kosher restaurants and uh, most of most of the uh, Jewish community lives along this this road. So great news! Facebook is now going to start policing anti-black hate speech more aggressively than anti-white comments. All right. So for years, Facebook was operating on rac racially blind practices, and most of the hate speech it was deleting was against white straight men, which is just innocuous, according to the Washington Post. So now Facebook's automated moderation system is going to be deleting hateful language primarily directed against blacks, Muslims, LGBTs, and Jews. So comments like, uh, homosexuals are disgusting or men are pigs. So the homosexual comment would be more likely to be deleted. Men of pigs is less likely to be deleted. So Facebook will be putting less priority on policing negative comments about white straight men and Americans. So these comments now regarded by Facebook as low sensitivity, less likely to be harmful. So they no longer get automatically deleted. So this is a response to the racial reckoning and years of criticism from civil rights activists that uh, content from black users is disproportionately removed. Why was this content from certain black users disproportionately removed? Because it was disproportionately hateful against white men.
So this is interesting. New York City is going to pay $1.8 billion for using a teacher test on which whites outscore blacks and Hispanics. So why is New York City paying out money? Because New York City teachers had different test results. So white teachers taking the test passed 84% of the time. Black teachers passed 44% of the time. And Latino teachers passed 40% of the time. So why does that mean the test is racist or discriminatory? Maybe uh, different groups uh, score differently. Is this just something that happens in New York City? Right? I mean, Asians, East Asians consistently outscore whites in the United States, in, in Australia, in, in England. So is this evidence of uh, racial discriminatory testing and uh, academic challenges? Nonsense. Hey, Bernard, what's up, man? So we've got a Canadian teachers union has decided that uh, internal elections by majority vote is now racist if the majority is not minority. Don't all groups have the same gifts? Evidently not. Therefore, this Canadian Teachers Union will weight non-white voters' votes more than white votes. So this could be a trend. Like John Calhoun, Lani Guineer have organized that we need official ways of protecting minorities from losing elections. So that uh, minority votes need to start counting more than uh, white votes. Hmm. So in uh, in Australian banking, like there's no. There's no affirmative action, right? Generally speaking, right, you want to qualify for a bank loan, right? It's on the basis of your earning and on your credit score, right? It's not like the United States banking system, which uh, where the government forced banks to extend loans to certain protected minority groups who are at a very low likelihood of uh, repaying those loans. What's the totality of all this panic and disorder then what? Well, there's a reaction, right? So for every action, there's a reaction. So the alt-right acted out in Charlottesville in the Hailgate and in Christchurch and at a synagogue in Pittsburgh and at a Walmart in uh, Texas. And as a result of this abhorrent behavior, there was this enormous blowback against the alt-right as a result of the crime surge that uh, left-wing democratic policies have enabled and empowered, there's going to be a steady blowback against the Democratic Party. So for every action, there's a reaction. What do I think is in store for the future of the United States? Uh, I think this 
left-wing craziness that uh, we should you know, go easier on criminals and uh, reduce incarceration and abolish the police. There's going to be enormous backlash to this. So this is going to be good for the Republicans. They can remain the party of law and order. So even even liberals want law and order, right? Liberals are willing to to try some progressive things with regard to crime, but once it's shown that that doesn't work, right? Most liberals want a clean, safe neighborhood. What do I so? What do I think is in store for the future of the United States? I think you're going to have a massive backlash against these pro-crime policies by the Democratic Party. And we're going to have a return to the uh, approach of the 1990s. More police, more stop and frisk, more incarceration, higher bail, right? Because crime's out of control in America right now. And uh, that can't go on indefinitely. There's going to be a reaction to that. It's just destroying the quality of life. America's demographic situation is not terrible. It's uh, much better than, than uh, most industrialized nations. So, so Europeans, meaning Europeans in Europe, Europeans in Australia, Europeans in America, they, they uh, drop their birth rates as a reaction to industrialization and modernity. And now other groups have also reduced their birth rates. So the Mexican birth rate is way down. So Mexico is not going to be exporting large numbers of people to the United States anymore. Right? So the, the massive exportation of Mexicans to the United States essentially ended about a decade ago. So Mexico's birth rate is dropping. Right? Immigrants come to the United States and then their birth rates start to drop in line with the incentives of an expensive industrial society. Africa's birth rates are going to drop. So looks like the world total population may never even hit 10 billion. So we have many positive trends and uh, bringing, bringing birth rates into alignment with what's sustainable for, for the planet is uh, one positive trend. We're all starting to love our cops and our law enforcement where you will. The more crime gets out of control, the more you're going to appreciate your cops. America's population is not super aged, right? China's population is super aged. China's the most rapidly aging society that we've ever seen in history. America's got the best demographic situation of any major power. So compared to China, Russia, Japan, France, Germany, America's in a far better demographic situation. The American workforce is the most efficient, most productive, hardest working workforce in the world. What states would I want to be in the United States between, uh, besides Florida and Texas? I like California. I like uh, Oregon. So America's in, in very good shape. It's got problems such as this recent crime explosion. But uh, overall, America is in very powerful shape. And after, after COVID, after the disruption that the COVID's brought about, you're seeing America pulling back from its international commitments and just uh, focusing on its own self-interest because America doesn't need the international commitments that it took on when it was confronting 
the Soviet Union for the Cold War. So I don't know anything about Oregon's governor, but uh, it's, it, was, it was a beautiful state, man. It was so clean, uh, relatively so, such low levels of dysfunction, but last time I was there was 2007. So certainly got some, uh, certainly got some problems. But uh, modernity has consequences, right? So with modernity and industrialization, you increasingly get lower birth rates, you get lower levels of participation in organized religion. And uh, th these are uniform trends. So countries that enter modernity more quickly, they get the lower birth rates more quickly. But even uh, second world countries like Mexico, they're, they're now lowering their birth rate. So Sydney can afford to have nice things, man. As I'm walking around or taking public transport, it's like there's no graffiti on the public transport, right? There's no sense of menace on, on public transport. There's, uh, there's this sense of connection with your fellow citizens. Uh, streets are clean. Trains run on time. I mean, Sydney's got its problems, but uh, it's, just, it's just amazing being in this cohesive, coherent society. Uh, after Los Angeles, where you can't really talk to a lot of people because they don't speak English. So there's not much Asian animosity, all right? I think you have to look far and, and wide for it. So most of the, uh, the so-called, you know, hate wave and crime wave against Asians in the United States was simply that Asians were, were suffering from the crime wave that was hurting everyone else. So Asians are often uh, living more, more carefully. You know, they drive more conservatively. They tend to make more cautious decisions. And so they've, they've uh, for a long time, been able to stay away from high crime areas. But now the high crime rates that have engulfed much of the United States have finally hit Asians. But there's very little anti-Asian animus. There's very little anti-Asian animus in, uh, in Australia or, or in America. So Sydney trains are packed with Asians and Indians. Well, I don't know if they're packed, but uh, there's not much animus against Asians and Indians in Sydney or, or in Australia. These are two very high achieving groups. So when you've got groups that are your doctors, your lawyers, your accountants, your dentists, your, your employer, then, uh, then you're not going to have the same animus than compared to if these groups were, say, committing disproportionate amounts of crime. So Asians and Indian immigrants to Australia are not committing huge rates of crime. They're committing below average rates of crime. China is homogeneous, nationalist, and has a higher IQ than most of the world's nations. It also understands the mistakes the US and Europe have made by allowing their respective states to be invaded in mass migration. Well, about a third of uh, rural Chinese have IQs under 90. 
of such extensive pollution in China that it's and uh, low levels of uh, education that's taken its toll. So it is true that about 92 to 94% of China is Han Chinese. But uh, how much connection do the Chinese feel with each other? Like there, there's the coastal parts of China, which are the most international in their outlook. And then there are the uh, more remote parts of China, which don't feel much connection to the internationalist parts of China. What do I think is holding India back from becoming cleaner and more prosperous than it currently is? Well, the average IQ in India is about uh, 82. So while there are certainly parts of India which are very intelligent, overall, your prospects for a clean, prosperous, high-achieving society where your average IQ is about 82, 83 are quite low. So yes, China's birth rates are catastrophic. So China... China's population is going to halve in the next 50, 60 years. Like China's going to fall apart in the next decade. Would I rather live in Salt Lake City or in a Chinese ghost city? I love Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City is beautiful. It is safe. It is clean. Salt Lake City is a wonderful, high-functioning city. So China's got big, big, big problems right now. Big problems. It's, it's never been less popular around the world, has almost no allies around the world. It doesn't even have adequate power for two thirds of its country. It's, uh, it's relied on its real estate sector to power GMP growth over the, the past decade. And that sector is incredibly in debt. Chinese corporate debt is about three times the level of the United States debt. What does fall apart mean? It means that China is going to cease to function as one coherent uh, nation state. So think back to the opium wars. Great Britain would send a few ships over to China whenever China misbehaved or whenever China behaved in a way that Britain didn't like. And with, you know, six, seven, eight boats, Britain could bring China to its knees. Now, China had the biggest military and the biggest GMP in the world at that time. But China had to spend much of this GMP and much of its military just trying to keep its own people in check. So the United States does not use its military to keep its own people in check. But China has to devote much of its uh, army and armed forces to keeping its, its own people under control. So China is surrounded by enemies. Almost all the countries around China hate China. Right? Uh, the United States is not surrounded by enemies, neither Canada or Mexico or any threat. So there's a lot of animosity against China in Australia and pretty well everywhere in the world. I, I expect uh, China to implode, all right? So right now it's, it's currently imploding with astronomical levels of debt, you know, far beyond what the United States had in 2007. And they can't even keep the power on for two thirds of the country. 
So I've not seen the essay, Australia's economy is a house of cards. Well, Australia's approximately had uh, about 30 straight years of economic growth. So they may have had a little dip with the, the COVID recession, but they had prior to the COVID recession, I think they had 27 straight years of economic growth. There is just so much money sloshing around here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's, I mean, the shops are posh. I mean, wow. Uh, the Chinese high functioning and low trust. Well, China's falling apart. So I'm not sure how high functioning is. Do I think uh, China's activity in Africa is negligible or taking a toll on domestic prosperity? Yeah, it's, it's negligible. Like if, if Africa fell off the, it dis fell off uh, and disappeared into the ocean tomorrow, it wouldn't affect uh, the United States, wouldn't affect uh, Europe. Uh, China's got some investments there. So Europe is filled with uh, beautiful women. So when I went to London, I was amazed by the beauty of the women there. And in France, uh, Spain, the Scandinavian countries, there is uh, there's much to love about Europe. <laughs> Bill Clinton gave communist China most favored nations trading status. Yeah, that's... That was crazy. Like, why would we assist our, our enemy, our competitor? Right? So giving China most favored nation trading status assisted the rise of Walmart, the ruining of uh, American uh, industry. And uh, China also gave us COVID. So Australia certainly got its problems. But what it does have in its favor is that it's a more coherent and cohesive society where Aussies are willing to pull together and, uh, if necessary, make joint sacrifices because uh, there's an ethic of fairness and there's an ethic of we're in it together. So Australians don't wear their, their patriotism on their sleeve like Americans and they don't cry at the side of the flag. But there's much more of an ethic of you know, let's do it for Australia compared to America. You don't have uh, that widespread ethic of, oh, let's do it for America. Thoughts on Gavin Newsom? I think uh, Gavin Newsom has been a reasonably competent governor. He, I think, was the first person to shut down a state in reaction to COVID, which in retrospect seemed like the, the right policy. So... Uh, of course, he's he's given in to the, to the left, and he is a lefty, so he's done some some crazy things as well. But uh, in reaction to COVID, in particular, he's done well. Bill says, "Hey Luke, I'm an Aussie living in the U.S. for ten years now. This past eighteen months, I've noticed American society splitting for the first time." Right. So, in comparison to say Australia, or or France, or or Germany, Americans just don't have anything in common, right? Like, America is a, a landmass, it's a nation state, but in in the cities, anyway, Americans don't have much in common. Like, how are you going to have anything in common with someone who doesn't speak your language? All right, so about half of Los Angeles does not speak English. Like, how are you going to have much in common 
right? So with many of America's big cities, people don't even share a common language. They don't share a common religion. They don't share a common culture. They don't share common values. So in American cities, there's less and less cohesion, social trust, and there's just nothing that, uh, very little that Americans have in common. While Australians, even in big city, the biggest city such as Sydney, uh, still feel a, a bond with their fellow Australians by and large. Right, white Americans don't have much in common. Right, They're just because you're of European ancestry doesn't mean that you're going to uh, have a great deal in common. I hear Australia is pretty enmeshed with China economically. Well, China's done everything they they can over the past year to cut off Australian imports and the Australian economy is still doing well. So enmeshed, meaning China has bought a lot of things from Australia, not because they want to do Australia any favors, but because Australia offers uh, raw materials that China needs. So China is not doing charity when it's bought things from Australia and Australia has not been doing charity for China when it sells things to, to China. It's just that the needs of China matched what Australia had to offer. So for many, many years, it was a very strong trading relationship simply because the needs of the two countries matched. But Australia's trading number one trading partner, China, and its number one security partner, the United States, there was inevitably going to be a conflict. <coughs> so... Australia is always going to side with the United States when push comes to shove. So Australia has enjoyed the, the China boom, but uh, Australia will, if necessary, sacrifice much of its trade with China to keep its national security pact with the United States. Because Australia is a relatively small country, it has to, has to fall in with some major power. And Australia has had a very close military relationship with the United States since World War II. Australia's not going to jeopardize that. Yeah, it's interesting. Religion, religion meets needs in America that Australians don't have. So religion plays a big role for social status, status marking. It shows that you're a good person. It's, uh, it's just part of the the ethos of what you do as a decent American is that you affiliate with a church, that you show you're religious, but it's very superficial. So my father would say religion in America is a mile wide and an inch deep. So when you encounter an Australian who goes to church regularly, <coughs> it's something they take seriously and it pervades all their lives. So probably less than 5% of the country goes to church seriously, but when they do go to church, regularly, then it's something that they take uh, seriously. But uh, Australians find meaning in their connection, in their mateship, you know, family, friends, uh, the beach, sports. There's, so Australia is much less religious than the United States because they already have a cohesive, coherent community. So they don't need religion to try to give them the feeling of, you know, old time, old fashioned, rural heartland uh, community. So in an incredibly mobile and competitive country like the United States, people are often affiliated with a religion <coughs> to try to get that feeling of community. 
that they've lost from from being in a you know, frantic, uh, incredibly demanding, competitive uh, economy. So in America, a, a religion, a, a church or, or a synagogue, it's a way to find um, intimations of old-fashioned rural community. Australians already have community without religion, so they don't have as much need for religion as Americans do. There's a significant increase in immigration from Africa or Asia into Australia. Well, compared to all the major nations of which I'm aware, Australia's probably done the best job with immigration in that they've largely restricted it to people who will be of service to the country. Now, I am much more immigration restrictionist. That's my, that's my tendency, whether for the United States or for Australia or New Zealand or, or England or Canada. I think we've had way too much immigration. So put me squarely on the side of immigration restriction. But if you are going to have immigrants, it's probably better to have high achieving ones that will contribute to the tax base as opposed to ones who will commit enormous amounts of crime and <clears throat> need enormous amounts of social welfare spending. Australians might not be outwardly religious, but they do show deference to the Bible and Christianity. You don't see the animosity against Christianity that you see in America. Yeah, so if the culture wars are at a 10 out of 10 in America, they're like a 3 out of 10 in Australia. The culture wars are not particularly intense in, in Australia. What do I think about the Sydney Morning Herald predicting Australia will be majority minority by 2050? I, I don't know enough, but I'm curious if, if uh, census figures are distorted in Australia the way they are in the US. So in the US census, if you identify as non-white, at least partly, say Asian and white, you're only counted as Asian. So U.S. Census significantly distorts the reality to try to minimize the, the number of uh, white people and maximize the number of people of color. That's how the U.S. system is, uh, census system is distorted. I'm not sure if that's true for Australia. I have not encountered any poisonous snakes in Australia on this trip, but I think the country has more than, than, than any other country, right? America's been balkanized for decades. Right, well, it was balkanized from the very beginning. So America has never been as cohesive a society as England or Australia, not even in 1800 or 1850. 40, aren't you an immigrant? Yeah, just because I'm an immigrant doesn't mean that I think uh, immigration, you know, we need a lot more of it. All right, let's say I get married and I enjoy having sex with my wife. Am I then a hypocrite because I don't want all the other blokes on the block having sex with my wife? Just because I successfully uh, immigrated to America doesn't mean that I want the rest of the world to be able to immigrate to America. Now that I've immigrated back to Australia, doesn't mean I want the rest of the world to be able to immigrate to Australia. Do I find Thai or Filipino women more attractive? I think, I think Filipino, but I don't have a strong, strong opinion. I think the Australian population is about 85% European and about 15% uh, Asian.
And Bill says the increasing number of Hispanics who align with traditional whites who want law and order, right? Is a white pill for conservatives who are scared of demographic change. Yeah, one Anglo-Saxon moving to another Anglo-Saxon country is not immigration. You're an alien in the same way if you immigrate from one Anglo country to another. <clears throat> maybe, maybe not. I am not a believer in crypto. Uh, I think uh, I think the the benefits of crypto are vastly vastly exaggerated. So yeah, as an Anglo moving from say Australia to England or Australia to Canada or Australia to the United States, <clears throat> it's a, a much more natural uh, and and less of a less of a shocking shocking move. Would I let my sister date a Harvard-educated Asian? Sure. I mean, I, I would never tell my sister who to date or a family member who to date. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not going to... I don't pass decrees on who people should, uh, should date. Bill says, I'm from Australia. I've lived in Japan. I've lived in the UK and US, and they are all great. But Japan is the most co cohesive country by far. Living in a 98% homogeneous society was fantastic. Yes, I believe you. Bye-bye.